Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, it's Erica. Just a trigger warning before we get started. This episode contains descriptions of attempted suicide and drug addiction. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Fentanyl is responsible for one in five deaths among young people in California. I'm talking people between the ages of 15 to 24. Doctors are seeing more and more young patients who desperately want life-saving medical treatment for their addiction. But unless you're 18, you'll need parental consent. And that could be hard, which is why California is considering making it easier. It's, it's not always possible for a youth who don't have a parent or guardian who's available or supportive of their recovery. And so in those situations, that's when we, we, you know, I strongly believe that parental consent should not be a barrier to this life-saving care. Today, how California can make it easier for teenagers to access opioid addiction treatment. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit Donate dot kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks the fentanyl you know related death toll statewide so this is youth and adults has jumped six times higher than it was just a few years ago so it's not just doubling but it's like six tuppling leslie mcclurg is a health correspondent for kqed Fentanyl is very, very lethal. It's 50 times more potent than heroin. And, you know, across the country, overdoses are skyrocketing in youth. But folks here, the, the number, the average, uh, is actually higher in California than the overall average across the country. 
How do you guys like being at Carter? So Charlotte uh, Blue is a 20-year-old who lives in San Jose. She works at a preschool. She's studying to be a dental hygienist. Good. How do you guys like Miss Charlotte being your teacher? I like Miss Charlotte. She's a good teacher. Aw, you guys are so sweet. Her life looks really good right now. She's super popular with her kiddos. They absolutely adore her. She's really turned her life around from just a few years ago when she was really having a hard time. She was addicted to heroin and methamphetamines and then unfortunately uh, became addicted to fentanyl as well. Can you talk about how that happened for her, sort of her journey, I guess, to addiction? There was many, many factors. The way she describes it, she grew up in kind of a a rough home in, in certain ways. I have a very toxic, traumatizing family upbringing and and childhood and just family in general. She found herself in high school struggling with depression. Uh, She'd lost a lot of weight, potentially fighting an eating disorder. She had some relationships with some high school boys that apparently weren't really good situations. I wasn't very mentally stable and I didn't really know where where to go sometimes, who to go to. So I often just went to drugs for for support. <laughs> I became very depressed. Um, I was very underweight. I was just mentally not like stable. I was not doing good and I felt like I had no support. And so I actually had a plan one day to try to commit suicide. My plan was to use fentanyl to do it. I wanted a pain-free way to go. I wanted to just not have any problems anymore. And so one night I went over to my friend's house and I smoked fentanyl for the first time. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, very strong. And so she got some fentanyl and she took it with some friends and she did overdose. She was out for about 30 minutes, and her friends luckily had uh, a lot of Narcan with them, which helps to reverse opioid overdoses. You spray it up your nose. And she did survive. Um, Unfortunately, that was just the beginning of her fentanyl addiction. Wow. After the overdose, I didn't use it for about two weeks. And then I kind of got curious, like, hey, you know, I've already tried it once, maybe maybe try it again. And that's how it, the addiction kind of took place. She was 18 at the time. She ended up skipping classes all the time. They would take BART into the city and, you know, walk the streets of the Tenderloin at night and, and buy fentanyl from street dealers. Um, and she was getting high every day on fentanyl. How does she describe to you the impact that her fentanyl addiction had on her life? The roller coaster of opioid addiction is that you do feel a high, you feel a euphoria, and as soon as you start coming down from that, you feel withdrawals. And withdrawal symptoms people have described as hell. That's really how they're like, you want to die. It's so bad. Ugh, I was itching. I had cold sweats. I was throwing up constantly. I couldn't keep any food down. I lost even more weight. And so, you know, because you feel so badly, it's just the the quickest way to make that go away is to smoke again. So she would just smoke fentanyl again. So she kept hitting these lows and wanting to turn her life around or wanting to stop. But then the withdrawals hit and it's just a, a really, really, really painful cycle. 
She started losing friends. The relationships with her parents, you know, started to go downhill. She started skipping more and more classes. I think she said she lost her car. She lost her boyfriend. The biggest turning point for me was I kind of kept feeling like I was hitting rock bottom and that, oh, this this is rock bottom, it's going to get better. And it never really fully did. How did she end up getting help and, and who helped her? She found a, a counselor in Santa Clara County. She was able to get connected to someone who she started to see for talk therapy. And that counselor directed her to a, a new treatment program that is designed to help kids in Santa Clara County get on medical-assisted treatment. So generally that is uh, Suboxone, which is the brand name of buprenorphine. And in through both talk therapy and, and Suboxone, uh, she was able to, to start getting some help. I just, I guess I realized I had nothing that was really truly making me happy. And I also realized I wasn't going anywhere in life like that. Um, and I wanted to prove everyone wrong. I wanted to show them that I could do good. So we're, of course, going to be talking about this treatment, Suboxone. Can you tell me exactly what that is? Suboxone is available in either a pill that you swallow or a film that you put underneath your tongue. It dissolves under your tongue. And what it does is it binds to the opioid receptors in your brain that we all have but it doesn't activate them all the way. And so you don't get the, the same euphoria that you would get if you took fentanyl or, or some other kind of, you know, or heroin. But, but it does activate them enough that you don't experience the withdrawal symptoms. So you take it daily for a while and then you can taper off of it, but you take it so that you can get through the cycle that is so challenging for people to become clean from, which is the withdrawal. And it's key. There's tons of scientific evidence that it works extremely well for both adults and now youth. It's a life-saving treatment. So that's kind of why we, we promote it. So Dr. Lee Trope, kind of at the beginning of the pandemic, she's a pediatrician in Santa Clara. She began to have all these kids come, come into the hospital who were addicted to, to opioids of different varieties, but mostly fentanyl. Most of our kids do not know that they're using fentanyl. They go onto Snapchat and they buy what they call perks or M30s. And we are the ones that actually tell them when we take their urine toxicology that it's pure fentanyl. We've been shocked by how many teens and young adults in the community have come to us, you know, sort of desperate for help. Some of them are using every two to three hours, like 10 fentanyl pills a day. She started to see deaths during the pandemic, and she thought, wow, we really need to do something about this. And, and the medication that we, uh, you know, has been studied and is life-saving for this particular disease is usually called Suboxone. It is the most helpful. Uh, it is the, you know, the most evidence-based medicine that she can prescribe and, and really her best option most of the time. Obviously, talk therapy can help you know, creating resources, but this really is, you know, Suboxone is the clincher. Suboxone allows people to feel, to feel normal. They don't go through this terrible cycle of withdrawal, using, withdrawal, using, and they can just like go back to their regular life, whatever that may be, whether it's college or high school. And so to me, it's, you know, I like to frame it as sort of a harm reduction. Is this treatment something that most young people can get? 
Basically, between the ages of 16 and 18 years old, state law requires you to get parental consent. If you're a kid who is still in good relationship with your parents and you can get your parents to sign over for you to get this medical treatment, then then yes. But there are a number of, of kids who Dr. Lee Trope was running into who, you know, are either living on the streets, they're estranged from their parents, maybe their parents themselves are in the cycle of addiction, and, and they're not able to get parental consent. It's, it's not always possible for a youth who don't have a parent or guardian who's available or supportive of their recovery or youth who are unwilling to disclose their substance use to their parents. And so in those situations, that's when we, we you know, I strongly believe that parental consent should not be a barrier to this life-saving care. They also might not be able to convince their parents that it's a good idea. Not everybody understands what Suboxone is. You know, it does activate the opioid receptors. It doesn't totally stimulate them, so it doesn't get you high. But that's a concept that can be kind of complicated or difficult to explain uh, to, to your parents when you're addicted, you know, to opioids. Leslie, there is this bill introduced in the state legislature to basically change this. What would Assembly Bill 816 do exactly? Those kids who are 16 to 18 would no longer need parental consent. There's a good number of states who do allow kids to sign over for themselves, to consent themselves. So this is already happening in other places, but that's what 816 would do. It would make sure that these kids who are estranged from their parents or who cannot get their parents to sign over would be able to do so. Well, these are young people who want to get off of deadly drugs like fentanyl, and our healthcare system should not turn them away. It was introduced by Assemblyman Matt Haney, and he was directly influenced by doctors, pediatricians who were treating kids who were in this exact situation. You know, enough doctors came to him and said, hey, this is a problem. Buprenorphine is the most effective form of treatment for opioid use disorder, uh, and it's critical that we get people enrolled in it as soon as possible without barriers. Leslie, is this a controversial idea? I don't think there's going to be a massive pushback. In general, though, there is a contingent of legislators and you know parents' rights activists who do not like it, basically, when parents are in any way, shape, or form not part of the decision-making process for kids who are under the age of 18. And so there hasn't been a loud vocal opposition yet. The bill is just starting to make its way through the legislature. But, but I imagine that might come forward based on how we've seen other bills that have dealt with parental consent in the past. I'm not personally comfortable just letting minors on their own at 16 years go to a doctor and get these type of medication. So Assemblymember Bill Asaley, who's in Riverside County, he's a Republican. And, you know, it's not that he was dead opposed to this bill, but he was concerned that it was so wide sweeping. I don't think a bill that removes parents from that conversation is the solution. Um, Maybe that's something we need to think, think through, whether we need to better educate those parents. He's worried about the population of kids who are not being forthcoming to their parents, you know, kids who are still in touch with their parents, but who may want to hide their addiction from their parents and never actually, you know, come forward and share that information. He would much rather see narrower legislation that is just focused on kids who are estranged from their parents. And he would love to see legislation that really focuses kind of to a greater degree on connecting those kids to social services first before you just allow those kids to go straight to, to medication.
going back to Charlotte, Leslie, Charlotte was 18, but does she think that she'd be able to get Suboxone if she had to ask her parents' permission for it? Her parents were not convinced that Suboxone, they, they thought that Suboxone was, you know, another drug to get her high, was another opioid. My parents were very against it, actually. They thought that it was an easy way out. And no matter how much Charlotte tried to, to explain that to her parents, she even got her doctor involved to help explain that to her parents. Her parents didn't believe her. Charlotte worries that if she had been under 18, that she would not have been able to convince her parents to sign over to have her start Suboxone, and she may never have been able to get clean at that stage. And she says, you know, and who knows where my life would be now if I wouldn't have been able to get on Suboxone. I think definitely that if I was a minor, they probably wouldn't allow me to take it. And so I I really hope that this bill gets approved to allow minors to get access to Suboxone without their parents' consent, because it could save millions of lives. And I mean, it seems like either way, the fact that this bill was introduced just kind of says a lot about like where we are as a state and as a region when it comes to the fentanyl crisis and the impact that it's having on young people in particular, that we have to like start thinking of solutions for how to deal with this crisis as it relates to like this specific group of people in our state. It's just kind of wild to think about. The drug supply in the country is so dangerous right now. It's so tainted by fentanyl. It's a really sad situation. The thing that does give me, give me some hope is there is a lot of effort from the scientific community to create medical treatments that can help people turn their lives around. The fact that we have these options, you know, we have Narcan in case you overdose. We do have Suboxone uh, to, to help you move through those withdrawals. And I imagine going forward, we will have other medications. There are other ways that people can get help, but it's, it's, a, it's a pretty deadly cycle. The addiction is a very scary thing and it's a very hard thing to overcome. We're really lucky that we have these medications, but I, it's, it's a pretty scary thing to report on right now. Leslie, thank you so much for your reporting. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That was Leslie McClurg, a health correspondent for KQED. This 35-minute conversation with Leslie was cut down and edited by senior editor Alan Montecilio. I got back in the producer seat for this one, scored it, and added all the tape. If you learned something from this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help our show. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening. Peace. Hi there. I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.